0: WLCC, Brandon.
1: Faith Talk Tampa online at
0: or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse
2: by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. A one week peace treaty. Of course the word week in Bible prophecy is seven years. But think about that for just a minute. Why would someone make a peace treaty for just seven years? I think it would be interesting to read the fine print in that treaty. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Verse by Verse, a teaching program featuring the teaching of Steve Kreloff, who is pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The title of our series is Birth Pains for the Kingdom. And as I listen to Pastor Steve, I can't help but think there will be a lot of pain for those on planet Earth during the Tribulation. Today, we will be learning more about this seven-year peace treaty and also about the abomination of desolation, which has been spoken of by Daniel, John, and, of course, Jesus. So, let us bravely jump into today's program and see what Pastor Steve has for us. One week peace treaty. Of course, the word week in Bible prophecy is seven years. But think about that for just a minute. Why would someone make a peace treaty for just seven years? I think it would be interesting to read the fine print in that treaty. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Verse by Verse, a teaching program featuring the teaching of Steve Kreloff, who is pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The title of our series is Birth Pains for the Kingdom. And as I listen to Pastor Steve, I can't help but think there will be a lot of pain for those on planet Earth during the Tribulation. Today we will be learning more about this seven-year peace treaty and also about the abomination of desolation, which has been spoken of by Daniel, John, and of course, Jesus. So let us bravely jump into today's program and see what Pastor Steve has for us.
1: Rome performed an abomination against the temple when they destroyed the second temple in 70 AD. So there have been two temples and, they've, and it's been destroyed. Hasn't been rebuilt. But there is another abomination coming that will be the worst one yet and that's what Jesus was referring to. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 9. This is the worst one yet. Daniel chapter 9. In fact, Daniel calls it the, the wing of abomination which is the height The wing meaning the the height, the pinnacle of abomination. Let me read verse 27 and you'll say, What in the world is that talking about? And that's why we're here to explain it. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate. Even a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now this verse is referring to a coming figure who will cause an abomination of desolation. This coming figure is the beast of Revelation 13. He is the Antichrist. Daniel spoke of him. John spoke of him. Jesus spoke of him. Revelation speaks of him. The Antichrist. He will make, according to this verse, he will make a firm covenant, some kind of a treaty with the many. Now that means the Jewish people. That's who Daniel is talking about. That's the context. The many of the Jewish people. Apparently some will oppose it. But the majority will, will embrace it. There will be some type of a treaty made. And it says for one week. Now I know that you and I. When we hear the term week. We think of seven days. That's not what this means. There is not some treaty coming. In which it will be for seven days. The term week literally in the Hebrew is seven. In other words it is a unit of seven Years. It, it's sort of like the way we say dozen. When I say dozen, you'd say dozen what? You know, uh, a dozen days, a dozen weeks, a dozen years. That's the same thing. This this word seven. The context has to determine seven what? Seven days? Seven months? Seven years? Seven weeks? In the context of Daniel chapter nine, it has to mean seven years. Even though I every time I say week, you think. Of, of years, okay? Seven years. And also it's the only thing that makes sense. There can't be, uh, with all the other scriptures, there can't be a one seven day period of a covenant. It has to be seven years. In fact, this is why we know that the tribulation period will be for seven years. I told you a few weeks ago that hang in with me and we'll, we'll explain someday why we know it's going to be seven years. This is how we know. Period of seven years. Now the Antichrist will agree to some type of of treaty with Israel, probably a peace treaty, probably. And he gets his foot in the Middle East, and Israel apparently gets the protection that she needs. Now, Antichrist also is going to head up a Western European confederation. Maybe it's the common market, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's the European community, I, I don't know. But it's the revived Roman Empire, he will be the head of it. So, when he makes a treaty, it isn't just one man making a treaty, big deal, one man. But he will represent Western Europe. He will represent Western Europe. So, Western Europe will agree to protect Israel apparently. And so Antichrist gets his his foot in the door in the Middle East, that's what he wants, and Israel gets what she wants, protection. She is surrounded by hostile neighbors, and she'll do just about anything to get protection. But according to verse 27, in the middle of this week, meaning three and a half years into it, three and a half years into the seven year period, he breaks this treaty, And he forces Israel to cease from offering sacrifices in the temple. It says, but in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. Why does he do this? Because he determines that something else will be worshipped in the temple rather than Jehovah, rather than God. He's putting a stop to their normal worship, and he will say something else is to be worshipped. Now, you have to turn to 2 Thessalonians to find out what that something else is. Second Thessalonians, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, just keep turning in your New Testament, and you'll see Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and you'll hit 2 Thessalonians. If not, if you can't find just look on with someone else. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Watch it, this is fascinating. Chapter chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one, Paul says, in any way deceive you, for it will not come, meaning the tribulation will not come, unless the apostasy comes first, the falling away, and the man of lawlessness, that's another name for the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God... ...displaying himself as being God. Paul says that, and don't turn from 2 Thessalonians yet. Paul says that there's coming a man, a man of lawlessness, a son of destruction. We don't know him yet. You and I do not know who he is. We'll be raptured before we know. If if the tribulation were to start in a few weeks and the rapture would take place today, he's in the world somewhere. Isn't that a frightening thought? He's in the world somewhere... He may very well be an adult. If the, if the rapture is not to take place for many years, he may be a child. You don't know who he is. And uh, don't get into speculations. A lot of Christians just absolutely waste their time. Every world leader has been called the Antichrist in some time past, juggling names and letters and ridiculous stuff. Uh, we slander people when we say that, that they're the Antichrist. We don't know who he is. But this one will someday claim that he's God. And he'll set up a seat in the temple and he'll say stop worshipping Jehovah. You worship me instead. Notice verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians. That is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan... with all power and signs and wonders. He's going to be able to do miracles because Satan will be behind him. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish... because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. He says that during the tribulation period some and the majority will embrace this Antichrist. Why? Because they rejected the truth. They rejected the truth about Jesus and they will believe a lie. And what is the lie? The lie is that this man who is only a man claims to be God. And people will buy into it. They'll say, you're right, he's God that's what the abomination of desolation is about. He'll claim to be God and he'll demand to be worshipped and that is the ultimate abomination that will cause the temple to be desolate. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped and now he'll finally get it for three and a half years in the tribulation. He'll get mankind's worship. Now we go back to, to um, Mark chapter 13. And let me just say this as you're turning back there. Even though Israel is a nation will not yet believe in Jesus as Messiah during this point. They will, wor- they will not worship a man. Israel ever since they returned from the Babylonian captivity, have not they have never had a problem. They have never gone back to idol- idolatry. That, that seemed to have cured them of idolatry. They have done a lot of other things that are wrong and they have not yet in belief. But they will not worship a man even though they are not believers yet. Now, notice Mark 13, verse 14, and it really makes sense when he says this. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. In other words, when you see the Antichrist standing in the temple where he does not belong. When you see that happen, get out of Jerusalem, flee, run. But let me take you through the whole thing. When you see the Antichrist set himself up in the temple standing where only God is supposed to dwell and demand to be worshipped as God... And then Jesus said parenthetically, let the reader understand. And that means for the sake of those during the tribulation period who would be familiar in reading Daniel, let the reader who, who, who's going to read Daniel comprehend what's going on. When they see this event take place, then the end of verse 14 says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The persecution will have officially begun get out of there. Because the Antichrist headquarters from this point on will be the temple. So, those who are in Judea and Jerusalem, Jerusalem being in Judea, when you see Antichrist proclaim himself as God, get out of there because you're in the most immediate danger. Flee. And he says this to Jewish believers and to those in Israel who are not yet believers. Run for, In other words, run for your life. Run for your safety. Seek refuge in the mountains. It could be the mountains of the hills of Judea. It, it could mean go down into what is now Jordan. And across the Dead Sea into the mountains, the Dead Sea area, go to the Qumran Caves, just whatever you do, get out of here. Flee, run for your lives and hide. People will could be anywhere when they hear of this news. Hear it on radio, hear it on television, they'll read about it in the Jerusalem Post. So he says in verse 15, and let him who is on the housetop not go down or enter in to get anything out of his house. In Israel in those days they had flat, flat roofs where a family could go up uh, uh, on the rooftop at night and, and just relax, unwind, cool down. And they had stairways that went into the house and Jesus said, when you hear this news, if you happen to be, if it happens to you and, and you hear it when you're on your rooftop relaxing, don't even go back in, in the house to get anything. Don't go back for anything. When you hear about it, if you're on the rooftop... Get out of there as soon as as possible. Don't even go back into your home to take anything. Food, clothing, the dog. Just get out of there. Leave. You'll be in that much danger. There's a time to stay and witness. And there's a time to get out. And this is the time to get out. Verse 16. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. If you're a farmer, you're working in your field. When you hear the news, don't take the time to go back to the house and get your coat. Just run for your life. It is urgent is what he's saying. It is urgent. Verse 17. But woe to those who are with child and those who nurse babes in those days. And here's the great compassion of Jesus. His heart breaks for those uh, mothers who will be nursing in those days and those women who will be pregnant. Why? Because they're not going to be able to move very quickly. And they're they're really going to be in danger. They're uh, going to run a greater risk of being caught and killed. So he said, whoa. Terrible for those women in those days. Then he says in verse 18... But pray that it might not happen in the winter. Why? Because the winter in Israel means the rainy season with swollen streams that would slow down the travel. And Jesus is saying, get out of there. It's urgent. Leave. When you hear this news, the abomination of desolation, don't do anything but run for your lives. That's how serious it is. Now, even though Jesus warns the tribulation believers to get out of Jerusalem and Judea as quickly as possible... The sad thing is we know from Zechariah chapter 13 that two-thirds of the Jewish people living in Israel are going to die at the hands of this man, the Antichrist. Two-thirds. I don't know if that means two-thirds. It says two-thirds in the land. I don't know that that means two-thirds of all the Jewish people all around the world, but two-thirds living in the land. Revelation 12 says that God is going to make a refuge in the wilderness for the Jewish people. So the one-third are going to be kept alive and safe, but two-thirds are going to die. Now, We want to, as we close this, and don't close your minds yet, we want to draw some conclusions, some very important conclusions from this passage. Significant truths to comprehend and meditate on. Truth number one, for the abomination, you have to think with me now, for the abomination of desolation to take place, there must be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. There must be a reinstatement of the sacrificial system in Israel. There must be the Jewish people who have returned to the land. It has to be. There is no temple there now. Israel right now is a secular state. There they are you know, many, many Orthodox Jewish people, but they don't have the sacrificial system going on. But they are in the land. You can't, you know, the Jewish people have to be there. You can't flee from the land. Jesus can't say flee if they're not there. The Antichrist can't set himself up in the temple if there is no temple. The Antichrist can't stop the sacrifice and the worship, but there is no sacrifice and worship in the temple. So these things have to be. There will be a rebuilt temple. And you know what? It doesn't have to take place it doesn't have to be built in the tribulation. It could be built before. We could see it. It could be built before the rapture. The Bible doesn't say. But there will be a rebuilt temple. Now, let me explain what this means the, the ramifications. Even though Israel exists today as a secular state. ...without faith in Jesus as Messiah. Yes, there are some Jewish people there who believe in the Lord, but most don't. Her return to the land is very significant, what happened in the late 1940s. Her return to the land is part of God's promise to regather her. And I I want you to understand this. Her ultimate restoration will be when she's converted to the Messiah. In fact, Mark says this in verse 26 and 27... And when they, then they'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he'll send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest ends of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. God's going to bring them back. going to bring the Jewish people back. Why? Because they will have fled. Jesus said, get out of there. He's going to bring them back. What we are, And ultimately when he brings them back, he will bring them back converted. That is the ultimate restoration. But what we are seeing today is the Jewish people come to... ...to Israel, and now there are hundreds of thousands of Russian Jews coming to to Israel. I read recently they expect about 400,000 this year alone. I would call this a sort of preliminary regathering until they are regathered in belief. But I I want you to realize that even though Israel is a secular state today... ...they are in the land because of God's dealing with them. It is not because of a group of Zionists who were just strong-willed... ...and forced the United Nations to do something... Don't let anyone tell you that Israel being in, the, in their homeland is not significant. I believe with all my heart it is, God, it is part of God's sovereign design. He has brought them home. There's no other explanation for it. He has brought them home. The sons and the daughters of Jacob are being drawn like a magnet to Israel. One of my favorite poems is written by Elwood McQuaid... The, uh, the director of the Friends of Israel, and uh, he wrote a poem called The Jew. It, it, it is so significant. I want you to get the feel for for what he is saying because uh, those of us who have lived in this generation and have seen the, the Jewish people change from the wandering Jew to the modern Israeli have lived with this for so long that we forget that it is absolutely a miracle of God. He writes, We well recall the wandering Jew bowed low and slow of gait who crept the ghettos, wore the patch, Absorbed the scorn and hate. He sold us matches, bought our rags, sewed clothes and fixed the shoes. But seldom would we fraternize strange ones, we thought, those Jews. It seemed he never quite belonged. His gaze was fixed afar. It was as though he searched the skies to find some rising star. One day he left, quite suddenly, that earnest son of Shem. I'm going home. I found my star, beloved Jerusalem. He's down on Ben Yehuda Street, erect and bronzed and trim. Now we stand by in silent awe to hear and learn from him. It is absolutely a miracle that God has brought the Jewish people home, and it's all part of his plan, and you need to understand that. You need to to understand that. Secondly, Israel's worst days, unfortunately, are ahead of her. Ahead of her. The Jewish people cannot imagine that there'll be terrible times ahead. They have lived through the horrors of the Holocaust. You speak to you speak to them and everything centers around their air force and their security and them as a nation, but uh, the truth of the matter is that the worst days are ahead. Worst days are ahead. That's why this time period is referred to as Jacob's trouble. It is unparalleled trouble. And we don't want to be naive and think that things are only going to get better. No. Anti-Semitism is going to get worse. Which leads us to a third point. Why is Satan so intent on persecuting Israel? Why? And why is anti-Semitism, why does it even exist? It's illogical. It is absolutely unreasonable. But it is because Satan has always tried to destroy the Jewish people. He did it before Jesus came because if he could destroy the Jewish people before Messiah came, then he cuts off the Messiah from coming and that means no salvation. He continues to try to destroy the Jewish people after Messiah has come, because if he cuts off the Jewish people now, and there's no Jewish people for Messiah to come to, then Messiah can not come and regather his elect and establish the kingdom, and, and God's promises are not true, and therefore God would be a liar. So that's why he continues to do that. There has to be a Jewish people in the land for Jesus to come back to claim. No Jewish people, he can't come back for them. Zechariah 13, let's, let's just turn there, those of you who know where Zechariah is and at the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah 13, which is the passage, verse 8 and 9, that says the two-thirds will die, says something else that's marvelous. Zechariah 13, verse 8, and it will come about in the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. Two-thirds of the Jewish people who are told to flee will die, will die. One-third will be left in it. And what will happen to this one-third? Verse 9, and I will bring the third, third part, through the fire refine them as silver is refined, test them as gold is tested, they'll call on my name, I'll answer them, I will say, they're my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. You know what we're reading here? The national conversion of Israel. Israel is a nation, though there'll be a minority, there'll be just a remnant will be converted as in the last days of the tribulation. Trouble will lead to salvation in Christ. That's the same thing for you and it's the same thing for me. Oftentimes God lets us come to the end of ourselves before we realize we need Jesus Christ. That may be what's happening in your life. God is just showing you your sin. God is showing you your wickedness. God is showing you that you can't make it in life without Him. That you are just a spiritual failure. Let the Lord take you one step further and lead you to salvation. There's finally one, one other truth here that uh, I think we need to cover. Some of us are playing games with Christianity. Absolutely playing games we don't take it serious enough. We're very shallow. Our Christianity consists of coming to church, shaking some hands, and, uh, and that's, that's really it. I think it really ought to sober us up to realize that living for Jesus Christ will cost many of our brethren in the tribulation their lives. We ought to live like that. It may not cost you your life, but you ought to live like it could cost you your life. You ought to live with a, with a commitment to Jesus, to obey Him no matter what the cost. I mean, some of us are, are so concerned if somebody yells at us because of our faith in Christ. That's, that's nothing. That's nothing. They can yell. Some of us are concerned if someone is, might be rude to us. Listen, in light of people being tortured for their faith and dying and family members betraying them, they can be rude to us. We need to have a deep walk with him and abandon our pettiness and our spiritual shallowness and living for life now because we need to have an allegiance to him that is deep. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I pray that you'll draw to yourself those who, perhaps, Lord, are on the verge of coming to the end of themselves. They need to trust Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you'll draw them. I pray that some will come up after the service and, and go through the, the door and, and greet a uh, counselor who can explain salvation to them. Pray they'll take that, that step. And our Father, we pray for each of us who, who, uh, who might know the Savior that reading about what's going to happen in the future might cause us to have a depth of commitment and, and realize how, how absolutely shallow our Christian lives are. Lord, even even the books that we read today, the self-help books are just so self-centered. Lord, help us to be so Christ-centered, to walk with you and to realize that the only thing that matters in life is the lordship of Jesus Christ. So I pray that that as a result of our study today that many will, will turn to you with a depth of commitment that they've not experienced up to this point. And I pray, Father, that um, thanking you for what... Uh, for what your word tells us. And and Lord, we, we pray that you help us to be sensitive to the sons and daughters of Jacob. Terrible future is in store for them and yet a glorious hope in future that they will be your people. Father, we pray this all in Christ's name.
2: As Pastor Steve wrapped up his teaching today on Verse by Verse, he had some very sobering remarks. Let me encourage you to take some time for introspection what is your level of Christianity? If we merely hear God's Word, whether it is at church or on the radio, and nothing changes our lives, we have some changes that need to be made. And Let me encourage you to heed what Pastor Steve said toward the end. We need to have a deep walk with Him and abandon our pettiness and our spiritual shallowness and living for life now because we need to have an allegiance to Him that is deep. If we are honest, we all need to have a more fervent faith walk. Next time on Verse by Verse, we will be talking about... (laughs) I'm going to stop right there. If you'd like to find out what we have in store on the next program, you'll have to join us then.